So I'm here today with Sarah Baker, freelance writer, mother, and an independent radio producer. And I wanted to talk to her about an article that she recently wrote called Unraveling My Childhood Asthma, Did Motherhood Cure It?, which was published on WBUR's Common Health blog on May 9th. I love this article, and I think it really is right along the lines of what Health Story Collaborative is about, trying to harness the healing power of stories. So I wanted to talk to you about the process of writing it and what came out of it. I guess as a first question, I was really struck in reading it by all the different roles that asthma played in your life. You know, it set you apart. It called attention to you in... in, uh, life when you might otherwise not have gotten attention. It brought out sassy pants, which I loved. And it was also a constant in your life in the midst of uh, what was otherwise sometimes chaotic. So it served many roles and both positive and negative, it seems. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that and the different roles that it played in your life. One of the roles that I realized is you're, I, I agree with everything that you just said. But in addition to that, I think you know, I was a kid who went through all of this trauma early, and my body responded in a way that maybe my brain didn't know how to. I couldn't breathe. And so I think a lot of, in addition to what you just said, I think a lot of what my asthma was was a reaction to the stress. My mother had died. We moved all the time. I lived in all these different families. And so that's very stressful. And not being able to say out loud, I hate this, or or whatever the feelings might have been, I probably wheezed. And that's where my stress went, to my asthma. I, it wasn't until I started writing this piece. I, I'd read Joan Didion's um, essay called In Bed about her struggling with um, migraines. And I thought about my asthma. And I started to write the piece, and it was through writing the piece that I began to think about how it was a constant in my life, how it had been representative of the stress. And so I'm. this is somewhat new to me in a way where I've thought about my asthma from this perspective as a 46-year-old, because as a child, I was just trying to survive. I'm really interested in what you said about that you never really consciously thought about this until you started to write about it. And I'm really fascinated with the process of storytelling and how that sort of helps move somebody from one place to another. And so can you speak to the process that you went through in writing this and how that helped you and what it meant then to put it out there in a public way and get feedback on it and what that was like for you and what did it take to get to a place where you felt ready to take that on as a writing project? I remember a number of years ago when I started writing, a friend of mine who's a successful writer said, write what's raw. So I always try to write what hits a chord in my heart, I guess, if that's a... And so writing about my childhood and writing about my mother's death um, is all what I tend to write about. This was the first time that I wrote about asthma, and it was really hard to write about it because I didn't, I don't have a lot of memory, and so I had to interview my dad, and I had to do some research, and um, I had to relive this trauma, really, that I had gone through, and and I I just kept working at it, and I you know sometimes felt a little sick after writing, but I just kept working at it. I usually write at least ten drafts before I even show something um, to someone. But I felt that I had 
I don't know, I showed it to my to a class that I was in and to my teacher, and they responded very positively. I showed it to my husband before all of that, and he responded positively. So I thought, maybe I've struck something here. And then it sat in my computer for a year. It did. And then I started taking a class about the book that I'm working on, and I decided to send it out. And so it was kind of just, I thought about sending it out, and I did a year later. But it maybe had percolated in me, and it didn't feel so scary. But then once it was out there, the feedback, I mean, people came out of the woodwork, people that knew me as a kid and had known me when I had a collapsed lung, or people that knew me as a kid that didn't know any of this. They were all um, responding and very moved by the piece. And that was really powerful. And my mother-in-law said, you've come out. And I, I don't want it to be like that. But in a way, I feel that I'd had kind of my interior world had been different from my exterior world. Everybody sees me as this very successful or um, successful is the wrong word, but kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, together. Together, um, you know, with a lovely house and a great husband and wonderful children and all that, like a great life. But I'd had this crazy history that people didn't know about. And so then all of a sudden they know this side of me. And that's been really powerful. How come people didn't know about that part of you? What kept you from sharing it before this essay? Well, I think that people at the time knew about it because I was, they could see me being sick. But then I think I just put everything, all of these pieces of me um, on the back burner and I just kept moving forward trying to almost erase this past. I think that's probably what happened. Do you feel like there was ever any shame in it? That's a really interesting question. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it showed it felt like a weakness or something that I had to put aside. I never really, I never even brought it up. I, I forgot. I didn't even think about that really until I was writing about the piece 13 years, you know, writing about my asthma that had gone away 13 years ago, 13 years after the fact. And it's only now that I'm starting to think about my relationship with it and why I might not have talked about it for all those years. I don't, I don't know. It's always a really slow process that we don't necessarily know that's going on of sort of coming to a place where you're ready to write about it or integrate it into your life. But can you name sort of what might have changed in you that made you feel like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to write about it? Or was it all unconscious? Well, I think when I read the Joan Didion piece, it gave me permission. I said, she wrote so powerfully about something that nobody sees, which are migraines. And and it's and even though I don't have migraines, I don't suffer from them, thankfully, I could really appreciate, and it gave me sympathy for people out there that do suffer. And I do know a lot of people that suffer from migraines, and so it made me think differently. And so I kind of felt with my asthma, I, f- I feel when I write any of these personal stories, I-, I have to get over this hurdle at the beginning, but then I begin to feel we all are struggling in our own way, whether it's with loss or trauma or illness or whatever it might be. And so if I can tell a story where maybe a few people out there in the world can say, yeah, that was me too. And actually, a number of people responded to my story on the blog and my blog and NPR ran it also on their blog with their own stories of childhood asthma. And so it just kind of adds to the conversation of life. So I used to feel ashamed of writing these pieces and well who's going to care and why does anybody care about my life 
But then I, I see that, that, that it does resonate, and I'm so drawn to stories of personal stories, whether they're books, memoirs, or articles, that I thought, well, why, why shouldn't I be part of this dialogue? Um, I have a kooky story, and I think I can tell it with a little bit of humor or something that will make people <laughs> keep reading. And so I'm just going for it. Awesome. Do you feel like uh, writing about it has changed your relationship with other people? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things after I wrote it, and because I'd written it a while ago, it came out and it was very, I think it was raw for people. And so one friend, for instance, um, stopped me on the street and she's a therapist. And she said, I'm going to think very differently about my kids that I treat that have asthma. A lot of it's this, this from the stress of their homes. And so I felt that I'd already kind of closed, because I'd written it a while ago, I'd already kind of closed off to it. And people that had just read it, it was still very raw. And it was hard for me sometimes to kind of know how to respond because the enthusiasm and the the kindness and, and just the overwhelming support was so powerful that I um, I didn't always know how to respond. I just kept trying to be gracious and, and yeah. Did, did your children know all of this about your asthma and your life and the struggles and your mother's death before you wrote this? Or was it new for them to read it? Or did they read it? Well, they haven't read it yet. And I think I'm, I'm wondering about when, when to show it to them. They know, they hear bits and pieces of the story, but I haven't, they haven't read any of my writing yet. And I was just thinking today about when I would show it to them because I showed it to my nephew who's um, living with us for the summer and he's a junior in college, my brother's son, and he really has responded so thoughtfully. And I, I think it helps him understand his father's story, my brother, and helps him understand me. And so I'll show it to my kids when I feel that they're ready. Um, I don't, I don't what do you think it would take for them to be ready? Well, I don't want to scare them, and I don't know. Maybe I'm underestimating. I have a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old. Maybe I will, after this interview, go home and show it to them and see what happens. Well, it would be interesting. Well, um, I'm interested in the motherhood piece, and um, I was really moved by your story of your mother's illness and her death and how that affected you. And I'm wondering if you can speak to the interplay between that loss and that pain before the loss and your asthma. And what was that interaction and stress you named already, but is there more that uh, it's also woven together and complex, I know, but how do you think those things played off each other? I'm only beginning to learn about that, but I think they absolutely played off each other. I mean, my mother died, and I was, in, in my piece, I, I quote Seneca, who says that he'd had a lot of illnesses, but asthma was the worst because it was like rehearsing death. And I think that's pretty intense to think about that. I mean, I had asthma before she died. She got sick when I was three, and I had my first attack when I was 18 months old, so I'd already had it. But to have my mother die and then to have this disease that's quote unquote rehearsing death where I couldn't breathe uh, is there, there's got to be a link there, but I don't, I don't know it yet. I'm still exploring that. Yeah. I was, I was struck by the image of the two of you sort of in parallel in different hospitals, but across the city from one another. So apart, but together in an interesting way. 
Yeah, it must have been impossible for my father, who had a full-time job in the Navy and then had to commute to my mother was at Johns Hopkins because they were doing cutting-edge research on brain tumors. And she actually lived a lot longer than they expected. And then I was sick in Bethesda, so across the state of Maryland, and we lived in Virginia. And so sometimes my dad would be driving over 100 miles a day to go between these two hospitals. And when she ended up dying, actually... My father was put in the hospital for an ulcer, and you know that's not surprising. I had been in the hospital for an asthma attack, and my mother was actually put, she had been at home, and she was actually put in my hospital so she could be near everybody, and that's where she died. But I never saw her. Wow. I mean, I'm just sort of talking off the top of my head here, but I'm in hearing you speak and sort of thinking about this image of the rehearsing for death and her death, do you think in any way that your asthma... Uh, work to keep you sort of connected to your mother in a way or is that doesn't feel like it fits no I I'm again learning a lot about that right now but I think absolutely I think when you lose a mother or a parent early in your life and you don't really go through the grieving process I think you become very loyal to the sadness and I think there's a part of you that unconsciously because you're little and you don't have the words for it says I'm never going to be I'm going to stay loyal to you so I'm never going to be as happy as you were or and so it's it yes yeah I absolutely think that when you lose somebody when you're little you make these silent packs with them to stay loyal to the sadness to stay loyal to what they went through to always hold them on a pedestal keep them on a pedestal and hold them in this special place in your heart. So do you think sort of unconsciously maybe you would have felt like getting better and not having asthma anymore would be a betrayal of sorts? Maybe. I mean, it's it's risky to say any of this because I did have asthma and I wouldn't want to take away from anybody that does have asthma. But I had a lot of trauma and maybe this was my one of my ways of staying loyal to her. Yeah. I, I don't know. And and this is all speculation. It's just curious now as an adult when I don't have it and it went away so quickly once I had that stability. I'm just looking at these questions and wondering what went on really. Right. I think you're right to say, you know, you don't want to take away from anyone who has asthma. And I I was wondering that and I was gonna ask you what is your thought on sort of what role do individuals play in creating their own illness and to what degree are we responsible for that? I know that's a big question and it's really complex, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any authority to answer that question at all. I can only tell my own story. And I, I, I also, this is speculation. I mean, my parents, we're both smokers. It was the time when people smoked and we lived in a house with wall-to-wall carpeting. And I, you know, so it could have been that my environment changed. I don't know exactly. And I'm, I'm very reluctant to say that we create our own illnesses. I'm just looking at my own circumstances and thinking, maybe I would have had minor, my son has asthma now and it's minor and we manage it. And he's never been in the hospital, thankfully, or had a collapsed lung. Maybe my asthma would have been like his. I would have had it, but it would have been milder if I hadn't had the extra stresses that I did. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. I'm really reluctant to say that anyone causes anything, but I think it's a complex interplay probably between genetics, a predisposition that we have, and our environment, and our stress, and our psychosocial circumstances, and all of that. Um, So, of course, it's impossible to stay. And I think uh, sometimes there's just bad luck. Right. 
and that's a factor. Can you say how maybe having lived through both asthma and your own, and your mother's death may have changed the way you mother today? Hmm. Um, it absolutely informs the mother's death probably more than, well, I don't know. They absolutely inform everything I do, I'm sure, not consciously, but I think that there's probably always a fear of losing someone. And I think that also I had such a crazy childhood that I wanted to make sure that my children had a happy, joyful, stable childhood. And so I've made a lot of choices to make sure that they have that. Sometimes maybe putting motherhood in front of other choices that I might make. Are there parts of you that you love that you feel came to you because of these difficult experiences in your life? Things that you're proud of, strengths that you have that have come out of that? Well, I do think that I have a resilience and, um, you know, resilience and grit are the two buzzwords these days. And I feel like they have them. I wouldn't wish any of my childhood on anybody, but I did have to learn how to cope. And I learned how to be around all sorts of different people in all sorts of different circumstances. There are positives to that and there are negatives to that. I think it makes me flexible, but then it also kind of, you reach a point where you're inflexible because you're tired of always having to accommodate other people in essence. So there are positives and negatives. I love the image of, of your singing and I, I, the sort of juxtaposition of the asthma and the singing and the different ways of using your lungs and your breath. I thought that was really beautiful. Can you tell us more about your singing and how that feels to be taking voice lessons? And Well, I couldn't even, I mean, at the beginning, it was unbelievable what a bad singer I was. I couldn't even get, um, I was inhibited. I couldn't even get the sound out. And it took a long time. And then after about four to six months, my teacher realized <laughs> that I was probably a little tone deaf. So then she did some ear training. And slowly I've gotten more comfortable and I've been able to access these different parts of my breathing and my voice. And recently she told me I could sing soprano, which is <laughs> a real shocker. Do you feel like you, somehow, I mean, I, I'd, be, I'd be afraid to take voice lessons. It takes a lot of courage. Do you trust yourself more now? Is, is allowing yourself to sing, does it have anything to do with trust or letting go? Or Can you speak to that? Absolutely. It has to do with finding your voice, literally, and feeling that your voice matters in the world and that you're not embarrassed by it. And so you have to let go. I mean, the first year of taking singing lessons was all about that inner critic that was saying, oh, nobody's going to want to hear this. Um, same thing with the writing, you know. And then, and my teacher was so gentle and kind, and she just kept saying, don't criticize yourself, just sing. I want you to sing loudly, and I want you to just go for it. And don't think anything other than that. And it was through that process, really, of just going for it and being completely uninhibited that the sound started to come out. That's amazing. Do you, what made you decide to take the voice lessons? because there are so many opportunities to sing in the world and I was never singing and I felt inhibited and and I lacked confidence and I wanted to be able to sing at school assemblies or birthday parties or wherever and feel good about it and 
And so I just went for it. <laughs> uh, do you think that writing about all of this and in a public way has changed your relationship with your father? Is he still living? He's still living, yes. And your brother? You said you had a brother. Do you yes. have any other siblings? No, I have a half-brother and half-sister. So has it altered those relationships? Yes. I mean, I think for my brother who has his own business and works very, 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 very hard, I can write these stories and send them to him, and he can relive with me some of this trauma that we just had to run as fast as we could away from. So I feel that it's made me closer with him. And my dad... I would say my dad, I give him some of my pieces. I don't give them all because I'm worried about hurting him. And one piece that I gave him, he responded by saying, well, I actually didn't think that paragraph in the middle was accurate. And um, it was all perspective because it was accurate for me. And so I'm sensitive about showing things to him because I'm protective of him. But I also... It's through my writing that I've gotten to know my own story, and I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not I'm at all. I'm not trying to judge them. I'm just trying to tell the story. And um, so I'm getting more confident with showing him stuff and not worrying about that. But I still have some pieces in my computer that nobody's seen except for classmates or very, very close friends because I'm worried that people will somehow be offended by them. Tell me about the memoir you're writing. So I'd written a bunch of pieces just like this asthma piece and realized that I had about 45 pages and that I kept telling the story about my mother and her death over and over in different ways. And so I thought, I I read the book Wave, uh, which is a spectacular memoir by a woman, um, Sonali, I can't remember her last name, but um, she's Sri Lankan and she lost her whole family in the tsunami. And it's an unbelievable book. And after I read that, I thought it was, you know, it took me two and a half hours and it was painful to read, but it was so powerful. And I thought she's done an incredible service for the rest of us to read this book and know how she went through it and how she came out. And I thought maybe I can write a book that's the legacy of loss. How when, you, when you're a little girl and you lose your mother and your father, as I say, is out to sea because he was out to sea, literally, and I was with all these relatives, how I carried that loss into my adulthood. And so I'm, I'm trying to tell the story of how we carry loss when it's not tended to properly. So it, it, it's a giving back of sorts. Yeah. Can you articulate, you said, you know, reading Wave, which I want to go out and read now. Uh, it, it tapped into something in, in you, and it's that giving back piece that I, I'm interested in. What do you think... I mean, it moved you, but what else did it offer you? Can you articulate that? Well, it was absolutely beautifully written, so it was a great example of writing and structure as a writer. That was, But more than that, really, she lost her parents, her children, and her husband, and I just don't know how anybody could ever survive from that. And she paints this picture of of how Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in many ways was wrong. The five, I don't know wrong is the right word, but the five stages of grief, you don't pass through them very easily. They are messy and they are morphing. And in this book, you see that. I mean, 
Um, and the other thing that's very powerful is that she had a real community to support her, that she had people there and relatives there to take care of her. And it took a long time. It took a long time for her to even think about her family that she lost. And then how she very carefully um, pieced it all back together with memory, where all of a sudden she could go back to her house in London, and all of a sudden she could begin to think about her husband, and then she could begin to think about her parents. And that's the way it works. It it doesn't happen all at once. It comes very gradually and, and, and in an agonizing way. And she describes it so beautifully and so accurately. And I don't, I wouldn't say at the end of the book that she's you know, you never recover, but she's living her life and she's written this beautiful book and she's helping anybody in the world that has experienced loss. And it's brave and powerful of her to have written that book. Absolutely. I also think it is really helpful to see an example of the truth, which is it's messy, it's gradual, it you don't always know that you're going through the process when you're going through it. It's not clean. And I think that's freeing to other people who are in the midst of it, maybe a, a similar. Oh, process. absolutely, yes. I mean, she there's there's um, her her parents' house is um, rented out, and this other couple moves in there. This other family moves in there, and she can't stand that they're living there. And she goes to their house at night and rings their doorbell and runs away. And she torments them. And this is a woman who's a professor at Columbia now, I believe. I mean, she's an incredibly educated, and that's where it took her. It took her to these terrible depths. And she drank. I mean, she had a real drinking problem for a while. Yet she, and so she, she really scraped hell. She scraped the bottom. And maybe she was wanting to, maybe it was what you asked earlier about being loyal to the, the death, the dying people. Like, I'm not going to have a better life than you are. I'm going to live an equally bad life. And maybe she was unconsciously creating that hell for herself to show the people that she loved that she was, she was there with them. That's well said. I also, I like, I think it's, uh, so helpful to see the the movement that you can hit those depths of horribleness and then move out of it and I think that's always so helpful to see when you're in the midst of something that you're not going to get stuck there that hopefully that you're going to pass through so do you do you feel like sassy pants is back <laughs> sassy pants yeah I mean I feel like sassy pants is is it's kind of sassy to publish an article about my asthma, I think, and send it out to the world. And you've got to be a little bit sassy to put yourself out there like that. And maybe you have to be a little sassy to sing, especially when you're going for those high notes. And so, yeah, I think Sassy Pants is is back and and she's breathing well. (laughs) I love thinking about this image. Again, the singing, I just think it is such a joyful thing. And it's just feels so freeing and I love this image of of you swaying to the music you know with the sound bursting out and it it feels really hopeful and I'm wondering do you feel like you're at some sort of transition point where you're freer to dream about the future and what it holds and letting yourself you deserve those things and and does that feel accurate? And if so, what are what are the things you're dreaming about? What what lies ahead for you? I'm getting there for sure, and I think I'm dreaming about being able to. I never I never even thought I would be able to. First of all, I didn't even really know how to write. I, I learned how to write in my 40s, where I t- took a grammar class and I started from the beginning. 
I'd been an editor, but I, you know, I, I, I have an ear for language, I think, but I hadn't actually sat down and written a story. Um, so all, it's all about in the 40s. I think you, you start to look at your life and say, what are the things you want to get done? So I've just gotten comfortable starting to think about myself as a writer and actually believe that my writing resonates and that it's worthwhile to write it and publish it. And so my dream is to to write this book, to be able to um, work through all of these different chapters of my life that are hard to work through and figure out a way to tell it so that maybe my story can help other families or other children out there who also suffer from a loss like the one that I did. So that's my dream. And my dream is to really be able to be present and to be able to feel the goodness that's all around me because I'm absolutely surrounded by goodness, but I don't always feel it. And so my, my dream is to, is to really see what that's like and, and feel it and feel present all the time. That would be amazing. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm excited to read your memoir. Thank you. Thank you.